1: Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer! Download our
0: app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos, and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For Gamblers Help, call one 858 What a champion becomes a legend. McConney Davis won it. Perkins goes in first.
1: What a legend! What a champion!
0: Welcome to this is your sporting life with Peter Donaghen for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. As always, terrific to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And my guest in the studio today has had a very interesting sporting life in the field of rugby. He's represented his nation 70 times. He holds all sorts of records in super rugby. And now he's in Melbourne playing his trade. Quade Cooper is my guest. Quade, welcome to
1: you. Hey, thanks for having me. How's things in Melbourne? How are you settling into life down south? Yeah, I'm loving Melbourne. I, I nearly wish I came here earlier. Um, I've always said about the city every time I've come down here that I've had a great time down here, but living down here um, has really changed my perspective, and I, I don't think I'll be going back to Queensland anytime soon. And from a
0: sporting point of view, it's a great time of the year. The Australian Open, the Grand Prix is just around the corner.
1: There's always something happening sporting-wise at this time of the year. Yeah, there is, and, you know, if, again, like we... like I was saying earlier is that Brisbane there's there's not too many events on Um, and when we do get an event we sort of uh, make a big deal of it whereas here the events are on every other week and you get an opportunity to go to everything so i'm looking forward to going to the tennis over the next few days and and get amongst it and the other thing is uh
0: daylight saving now uh, we have to talk about this because i know as a queenslander that this has been a hot topic of conversation over yeah, the years how are you coping with the difference in daylight saving is it good
1: for you Mate, it's it's massive it's, it's such a good thing because uh, you come home from training, um, the sun's still up, 6pm 6, 6 and you have dinner, you go sit out on, on the balcony, taking the, the sunset, go down to the beach, get home from the beach, 9, 9.30 man, you're ready to go to bed. Um, in Queensland, especially in, in the winter, but even in the summer, it gets to about 6.30 at night and it's pitch black. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's on one of the good days. So in the winter, it's around about 5, 5.30, the sun goes down, so it sort of makes it Interesting in terms of getting home from work and and you feel like you just want to go straight to bed. So now you know how we
0: Southerners feel when we go up to Queensland and uh, you wake up in the morning, you might have to go to work or you might have an appointment, you wake up, it's broad daylight, you think, oh no, I've slept in,
1: it's quarter to five. We don't know what's going on. But I have that problem up here as it is. I'm, I'm not very much a, a morning person, as you can tell from my voice. <laughs> Where have you been on the massage table before you came in have. Here. Spent, spent an hour on, on the, the massage table. The body's starting to get a little bit old and got to get those creaks out. So I spent, spent an hour there and I, I fell asleep about three minutes into it. And the lady was there trying to wake me up. And, and as I woke up, the boys looked at me. had a, a massive ring around my head from <laughs> um, having my face in that hole. The body's not that old, though, is it? It's still in pretty good shape. Look, I, I feel like I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, but, mate, when you, when you played professional sports for 15 years they start to creep up on you and and waking up in the morning, your body takes a little bit longer to get going. But in saying that, mate, like I've got really good health. So I've had a fair few surgeries over the year. And sometimes those are the ones that take a little bit of warming up in the morning. Are you conscious of that as you come into the twilight of your career? Because you've probably
0: seen a lot of sportsmen in in your sport of rugby union and various other sports over the years who suffer greatly from all of the wear and tear that they have. Is that something that is in the back of your
1: mind that you want to get out before anything? Like that happens, yeah. I mean, like it, it is and it isn't because, like, sports are a funny thing because, like, even even my partner, we we talk about and her family especially because um, they haven't really grown up around like professional sport and stuff, and they talk about head knocks, concussions, and and stuff like this. And it's like, for us as athletes, you kind of think about it after, and I think that that's probably one of the the problems is that you're you're so committed and so immersed in the sport. That, and you get so used to bumps and bruises. So I've been through like that many surgeries. I've, I've got a plate in my um, collarbone and, and shoulder, which has got 14 screws in it. And and now, like I, my girlfriend, she'll lie on my shoulder and um, I kind of just push her off it because I hate that feeling because I don't really have feeling in that shoulder. Mm. So it's quite a, an awkward feeling. Then you go, I've had um, hip surgery on, on both hips. And not that it's a problem now, but you, it's hard to sort of think into the future and, you know, you think that being 40, 50 years old and you might need a hip replacement at, at 40 years of age. But those are things that you kind of think about when when you come to it as opposed to now. And I think that maybe changing that approach is is something something there, but I've just put a lot more time into the recovery, um, you know, preparation for, for training and games. Like I'll wake up now, if we've got a training session at 8 o'clock, I'll be up at 6 Start stretching, start moving. And when I was a young kid, mate, I'd be, if we're training at 8 a.m., I get out of my car at six, uh, 7.59 mm-hmm. and walk straight on out onto the field and, and you sort of wonder why these blokes are all out there stretching and, and getting ready, but yeah, now I know. Did you have, when you were going through that phase, you know, the
0: brash young man obviously with a lot of ability coming into a sport, did you have the older guys trying to pull your coat at that stage and say, come on, just lift your levels of what you're doing?
1: Uh, I mean, like I, I, I always worked hard and that, that was never an issue with um anything i did but one of the things that and i remember having this conversation with um a guy by the name of clinton shifoski um he was 34 years of age or mate 34 35 mate, he was in great Neck, um and he came in when i was um 18 and we played a couple of seasons together i remember saying to him like mate why do you spend so much time you know warming up things like that and he said look mate when you get to my age you understand um but any advice start earlier and I was sort of like oh, yeah whatever I feel pretty good and I remember a couple of years ago when I was going out to warm up and you just walk out in the field and you're kicking a few balls and I remember kicking and I thought I might have pulled my hammy or something like mm-hmm. that just kicking kicking a ball and I went over to the physios had a little test and they're like no nah, you haven't pulled it but you might have just, just a bit tight and so from that moment on I remember as soon as the physio said that and, and I did that action all I heard was Clinton Chavosky saying, mate, start earlier. And then from that day forth, I just put so much more um, time and effort in, into my body and making sure it's in, in great shape prior to training and prior to games. Do you reckon sports science is overrunning sport at
0: the top level these days? There's a big debate yeah. that goes on at AFL level about guys not being allowed to practice their kicking for goal mm-hmm. because of you know what you're talking about with the hamstrings and everything. Has it gone too far? Should it still be a feel thing for
1: the player? Um, look, I, I see this situation a lot, and I can see it from both sides. And the part that I, that I understand is that I, a lot of these clubs pay us a, a lot of money um, to be out on the field. If we're not out, if we're not out on the field on a, on a Friday or Saturday when when the games are on and they're basically losing money, and they're in a, a tough position. Um, but for us, we're getting paid a lot of money because we can do a certain skill very well. If you can't practice it, then you can't do that skill well, so it's no use being out on the field. Um, so I can sort of see it from both sides. And then the other sort of side to that, as well as, um, say, for example, um, bonding, alcohol, things like that. Like when I first come into professional sport as an 18-year-old, I'm um, by no means am I um, condoning drinking alcohol and things like that. But the environment was so different. You'd, you'd come into a, a change shed after the game, and everybody in there would be l- laughing, having a good time, having a beer. And not necessarily laughing, but like win, lose, or draw. The group would come together quite tight, and you had a, a great bunch of guys. Um, now, like after games, you, you come into the change shed, and the change shed's empty. People just get changed off to recovery, gone back home. everybody's back home going their separate ways and and I feel like that's a little bit to do with sports science and because you you spend a lot less time together as as friends as mates, and you spend more time together as um, um like in a working relationship mm. as you 're my colleague as opposed to you, you're my friend I think that that for me is the um, the bigger problem than, more so than the sports scientists saying, "Okay, you can't go and kick today, but you can kick tomorrow."
0: What's the worst part about recovery?
1: Is it the dreaded ice bath? Yeah, look, the, the ice baths have never been something that I've enjoyed, <laughs> and this is this is a a genuine true story. I hated them that much that I I think that my mind basically created a. Um, an issue with my body so I got into an ice bath and I got out of these ice baths and I had welts all over my body where the ice had been and I was like shucks this is not right and I thought maybe I used one of the boys towels or something and I caught something off him and um (laughs) so I went into our team doctor and I said mate like I just got out of the ice and I've got all these welts and he said mate I'm not too sure what that is and then the next day same thing I got in the ice bath and I used to come up with any excuse not to do an ice bath got back in there get out, welts all over me, only where the ice had been again. And so our doctor said, look, this is quite dangerous because if you go in, like up to your neck or something and, and this happens, um, something bad could happen. And so he, he took me to a specialist and I got this thing called cold urticaria, which is basically a sensitivity to cold temperatures and stuff like this. And then um, so I had a good laugh about it. So I didn't have to do ice baths again for a long period of time and then one day I jumped in an ice bath, forgot all about it, and I didn't get the welts again. Oh, that's a shame. So I'm like, mate, back in the ice bath. But I still tell everyone, Nana, you can check the medical records. I've got this thing called cold urticaria if I don't want to do ice baths. Jeez, you had a ready made excuse. Uh, <laughs> how,
0: how many of the boys came to you and said, is there any chance that I could catch this? Oh, mate, <laughs> use this dirty <sturdy> towel that <laughs> I <is. laughs> use. Uh, how are the facilities at the Rebels
1: um, as you settle into the club? Look, the, the facilities at the, the Rebels are really top-notch. Um, I, I come from Brisbane and, and Queensland and like, some of the facilities that we have there are very old and dated so we were, we used to train at a, a stadium called Ballymore which is um, that's a pretty famous stadium in Queensland especially in Queensland rugby um, but the facilities there were like really um, sort of past the use by date so to speak. And we got a little bit of a, a revamp a few years ago when we won the competition, which was, which was great. Um, but I didn't know anything else. I hadn't been in any other change rooms or any other facilities. So when I came down to Melbourne, um, some of the boys were saying, oh, "You know, it's a little bit difficult. You got to, we've got like a recovery. Our gym's all the way over here. This and that." I sort of walked through and I said, mate, this is amazing. You know, like I'm stoked with the, the facilities and stuff. But then you go over and we train in Collingwood's gym sometimes. Yeah. And you walk in there and you're like, mate, this is a different world, you know, some of the facilities that the AFL teams have, you know. But I do feel that um, we've got great facilities and I'm really looking forward to making the most of it. If you cross paths with the Collingwood players, is
0: there a bit of cross-pollination that goes on between the codes now that they pick your brains about certain things and you
1: pick theirs? Look, I've heard a little bit about it, like a a fair few of the coaching staff and stuff like that, get them um, in and around the AFL teams and um, with the Rugby League, uh, with Melbourne Storm. But Not too much as players. Like, I, um, I, We were walking over to the gym the other day and a lot of the boys were out there kicking goals and practicing their kicking and stuff. And, and I just thought to myself exactly that thing. I was like, mate, it would be great to get out here and do some stuff with them. Um, maybe they'd come over and do some stuff with, with the footy boys in terms of tackling and stuff like that. But mm. just to be able to get out there and kind of um, stimulate your mind in, in a different way and, and hear things from, from a different voice and but just y- y- it's always surprising some of the stuff that you pick up just from having conversations with other people and opening your mind to um, different situations different sports diff- different ways of, of seeing the same thing but in a, in a different um, light so hopefully um, during my time here we'll get to um, spend some time with some of the AFL teams Is one of the other positives about coming to Melbourne quite that you're
0: out of the the rugby union states if you like. You're out of the fishbowl existence. Now it's it's never gonna work completely for someone like you because you're as well known as you are. But is it good to be out of that fishbowl spotlight kind of
1: existence down here? Yeah, I mean like yeah, as you touched on there, um yeah, a lot of people sort of said that to me, you know, when you get down to Melbourne it'll be great to be able to just sort of um, go as an inconspicuous, you know, normal person. And I've found it very surprising. Like everywhere I've been, people have come up and said hello, welcome to Melbourne. And I've found that, that a lot of the fans or um, the, the locals here in Melbourne, are, um, because they love their sport so much, not necessarily because they're fans of myself or anything, but because they love sport, they see you down here and they go, okay, well, you've come from Queensland, you're here to represent us now. Um, mate, welcome to Melbourne. It's great to have you down here. Um, we'll be following you this year and stuff like that. And I've I've been very surprised by the amount of people who not only know myself but um, you know, are there to support you know, the Rebels and and say that they they're looking forward to watching us this year. So, but being outside of the fishbowl in, in terms of like Brisbane, like Brisbane's a pretty tough one. Um, you know because there's basically two teams there with the Reds and, and the Broncos like the AFL um doesn't get too much of a look in um at the minute but you know when they won, won the 3peat AFL was the talk of the town and and it was massive you know mm-hmm. so for myself growing up like i i was massive fans of that era you know, Michael Vosses, Alistair Lynch's, and you know those sort of blokes. You know, so for me, they're they household names and and guys that, that I really enjoyed watching. Um, but it is kind of good to be outside of that that fishbowl and um, being down here and getting to experience different things. So you're still a Brisbane
0: Lions fan because you know that once you cross the border, once you cross the Murray, and you come down to this part of the world, you've got
1: to have an AFL team. Otherwise, you'd get deported. Well, see, uh, I'm I found that. A few years ago, um, I started sort of watching Richmond play. And um, when they won the comp, like, they weren't my team or anything, but had a little bit of a soft spot because I started watching them a few years before that. And and I I liked them because, you know, a couple of years ago, sort of they were always written off. Like, they'd have a fair few good games, and Mm -hmm. people would sort of say, oh, this is, like, they won't go the whole way. Um, Then a couple of years later, they obviously had a fair few good games and then just kept going and going and going um, and then managed to, to win the comps. So I, I really enjoyed that. So I'll find myself either following you know, Richmond or, um, or Collingwood because we're training in their gym. Well, one way or the other, you
0: won't have far to go because Collingwood's on the same side of the street and Richmond's just across the road. Exactly. All right, uh, let's take our first break and then when we come back, we'll talk about where the journey all began in New Zealand for you and your early moments in the sport. Quade Cooper is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life and we'll have more with Quade after the break. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And what a pleasure it is to have Quade Cooper as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Quade, take us back to where
1: the journey began in New Zealand. Oh, well, where to start? Um, look, I, I was born in, in Auckland. Um, moved to a, a really small town called Tukuro uh, with my mother and my sister when I was like six months of age. And I spent the rest of my life growing up there until I was about... I would have been 13 when I moved to Australia for the first time. I moved over and I I lived with my auntie in in Brisbane. And then I got homesick after a year um, because I've got got two younger brothers, two younger sisters and one older sister. So I found it a little bit difficult being away from them. Um, And I went back to New Zealand for a year before my mum packed up the whole family and we moved back to Australia and um, been here ever since. So, did you like it originally when you moved to Australia, or was it a real
0: culture shock? I mean, there's not that much difference between the two countries, but uh, there's still
1: differences there. Yeah, in my eyes, there was huge differences in terms of culture and and stuff like that. From growing up in a really small town uh, to coming to Brisbane, which for me, it was was like going to New York. Mm. I went there, it was just like buildings everywhere, there's people, there's highways with, you know, sort of four or five lanes, um, you know, things like that, traffic lights, which are, <laughs> were a thing thing that you never got to see. And if if you saw a traffic light, it was nearly an exciting thing because you knew that you're in a, in a city. <laughs> um, so for me, it was, it was such a, a big change that I, I loved it because there was just always something exciting. There was something new all the time um, for myself. Um, but just being away from my family, that that was something that was was really quite new to me. I um, Found it quite difficult because back then, like you know, my auntie didn't have too much money as well. But making a, a phone call back to New Zealand, that could end up costing a, a fair bit of money. So I couldn't call my my family every day, um, sort of speak to them once a week or once every sort of two weeks for maybe ten fifteen minutes on the phone. Um, so that was something that. I really struggled with and so after having a conversation with you know my family and stuff like I said look I'll I'll go back for a holiday so I end up going back for a a holiday which was supposed to be four weeks over over Christmas and I just didn't go back and get on the plane Mm. Um, when it was time to pack my bags and get ready to go back to uh, Australia I just refused and my mum sort of she lost it because obviously going to lose money on a ticket. Um, But so she had to sort of put plans in place um, because I got offered a a few rugby scholarships at at some really good schools in, in Brisbane and those were things that I wasn't coming back to. So my mum was a little bit disappointed in terms of thinking it was a waste of a year going over to Australia, getting those opportunities and then just coming back to New Zealand because I was simply homesick. So she packed pretty much the whole family up um, within a year um, and moved us back to Brisbane. So it would have been a vastly
0: different experience the second time you come back. You've got family yeah. around you, even though you had your auntie the first time. Yeah. But essentially you felt as though you were just alone in the country. What, what yeah. did you do to combat that loneliness when you were here the first time? Um, like,
1: I was with my my little, my two little cousins. Um, so I, like, I had a great time. And by no means did I, did I feel alone. It was more so... I was just so used to having, you know, my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have extended family, like where I grew up. All of my best friends, like their brothers and sisters were my cousins, where basically you'd see them as your cousins. You'd call their parents auntie and uncle. So you had this massive um, community, um, you know, of family and friends around you. And then I've gone to Australia where I'm with my auntie and uncle and my um two cousins and that was basically all we had so you you start to make new friends and stuff like this but it's just not the same so when when everybody moved back over to australia I, i just felt comfortable so when i made new friends things like this um i always knew that i had all my all my family all my siblings and stuff at home as well when you spend 13 years your first 13 years in new zealand is it always going to be rugby union yeah Pretty much. Like, you yeah. you don't really have a choice. And, and I remember as a, as a young kid watching the All Blacks play as, like, a um, four-year-old. And I still remember, like, watching these games and um, not necessarily understanding so much ab- about the game or something, but just black jerseys running around. That's what I wanted to be. You mm. know, you kind of look at it like, well, um, all I wanted to be when, when I was a young kid, when you went to school and they get you to write three things on a, on a piece of paper I was rugby player, rugby player, rugby player. Mm -hmm. And I think that I wasn't alone in that. I think that that's every New Zealand kid. Do we
0: understand that on this side of the ditch? Do we understand what an obsession it is over there?
1: Yeah. I think that people like to think that they do, but when you actually grow up in it, like everything is football, is is rugby. You come to Australia and say the Weet-Bix ad. You might have a cricketer, you might have an AFL player, you might have a soccer player. Things like this on different ads in New Zealand. It's simply the All Blacks. Mm. That's all it is. So, I grew up thinking that um, you know, say Jonah Lomu was more famous than Brad Pitt. Yeah, things like that. It's just that if you were to pick one of them, you're picking the All Black. Um, so it's, it's it's nearly a religion. And the other thing that we probably don't get over here, and you're qualified to comment
0: on it, is how big netball is in New Zealand. Netball is a major, major sport in New
1: Zealand. It's a big sport here, but nothing like what it's like in New Zealand. Yeah, I think that And in terms of netball in New Zealand, um, because, like I was saying, for me growing up in, in such a big family and, and a, a big sort of family community, all you do is play sport with each other. So, you're out on the front lawn, you're having a game of rugby against each other, the girls are involved, and you might be playing basketball, netball, things like this. So, everybody is involved in sport. Um, so, in terms of women's sport, netball, as I was growing up, every one of my aunties, my sisters, they all played netball in like the little local leagues and stuff like this. But it was like, in terms of me being a professional athlete, that was their equivalent. Yeah, you know, coming from a small town. So um when you come over to Australia and that like sport is a, a religion here in Australia, but there's so many different sports to choose from. Like everything I feel gets watered down a little bit. Whereas when you have women's sport in New Zealand, the top one being netball and rugby for, for men. Those two sports just get held so so much higher than everything else. All right, let's go back
0: to the time where you came across with your mum and your family and you mm-hmm. had all those scholarships you were talking about. When did you realise that you had what it takes to get to the big time and to make a living out of this game that you love so much?
1: Yeah, I feel like I, I knew that since a very young age. Um, not being cocky in anything, but it was more so that I was so obsessed with it that there was no way I was going to come- come up short um I remember saying to my mum um yeah, you know, I'll be a professional footballer one day mum like i'll 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 be earning money from this like very soon, and her being a parent saying, no no, no no you've gotta to go to school, you've gotta Get good grades, I want you to get a good job. i don't want you to have to go through what we 've been through as as parents um you know and my mum, she sacrificed a lot like we had no money growing up, but I never missed out on anything, so if anyone was missing out, it was her and and my dad um you know so for me, it was just one of those things that I just didn 't see any other way any other option but to be successful so when i I started to realize like in terms of my ability i I always thought I had ability um but I just felt that I needed an opportunity. So that opportunity came you know, pretty quickly when, when I moved to Australia, um, You know, getting involved in representative stuff, um, making Australian schoolboys, things like that. And when I got my first, and it was about six months before I got my first contract, I would have been maybe just 16, maybe 17. And um, my mum said, look, I was when I turned 16, she said, you're gonna have to start paying board now, you're 16. I said, no, nah, no, nah, mum, I'm going to – she goes, you're going to have to get a job and you're going to have to start paying board. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, mum, don't worry, I'll, I'll get a contract. I'll get a contract. And she said, look, I I like that you have that dream, but you can't put all your eggs in one basket. And I said, well, they're all in one basket. You know? Sorry about that. And then literally six months later, I signed my first contract. And for me, it was, it was just such a good feeling because – not only was I proving my mum wrong, but to myself I was just proving the thing that I dreamed about since I was you know, three years of age. Finally, it was was coming to fruition. So all those hours that you spend out on the training paddock, all those hours you spend watching the game, obsessing about it, um, you know, all the sacrifices that you've been through, but also all the sacrifices that you know my family um, had sort of sacrificed to give me the opportunity to. Um, playing rep teams to uh, for them to miss out on things that, that my parents could pay for my fees to be able to play and stuff like that so I felt that it was a, an opportunity for me to in some way say thank you to them um, yeah, and then look forward to the future. Did you take that contract
0: and show it to your mum when you first signed it and say, there you go, mum, look at all those zeros there? It's pretty
1: much exactly um, what I did minus all the zeros. <laughs> um, but I, I did find it really funny, and this is a, another story, is that my first paycheck... I remember, and so back then you used to get a, a piece of paper and you kind of rip the bottom off, and mm. uh, it's hard to explain, but it would say how much money are you and I, I kind of worked out um, my pay, and just say for example, it's not my first um, uh, contract or anything, but if you're getting, we get paid monthly. So if you're on 120 grand, you get 10 grand a month, and so I worked out okay, I'm going to get 10 grand a month, and then I get my pay slip, and it's like. It's half of what I thought that I was going to get and I I run inside and I say to my mum look mum mum I've been ripped off the club's ripped me off Um, what's this look I've only been paid half of what they said they're going to pay me and she was like oh well ring your manager Like, I'm not too sure I don't know how, how that works so I ring my manager and he's going oh can you read the pay slip out to me and I start reading it out to him and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, hold on a second. I'll, I'll come around and we'll sit down and we'll go through it. All. And I was like, so I'm sitting there pissed off for a good 30, 30, 40 minutes. And he comes around my house and he starts explaining to me that you pay this thing called tax, yes. superannuation, <laughs> um, agent's fees and, and things like this. And once he told me that, but he said to me, look, you'll get that money back at the end of the year when you put in your, your tax return and stuff like this, but I need you to keep your receipts and stuff like this. And so for me, I was like, still I was so puzzled because I was like, this is my money. And these people were just taking it like without asking. And it was just one of those things as a, as a young kid, as a 16, 17 year old, um, you just have n- no experience in that. And mm-hmm. like I was saying, my parents, they never earned a lot of money at all. So they didn't really have experience as well. And and what I did with that first paycheck, I'll just add this and is that. So I went down with a couple of my best friends. We went down to a, a shop called Wellside and Sound at the time. And it's, it's now finished. Like it went into liquidation. Um, but we went in there and we sort of started walking around and no one would serve us young kids in there. No one would serve us or anywhere now. Little school uniforms and stuff, like that. and then um, finally, this young girl who was a, a trainee at the time, she comes over and says, oh, "Is there anything I can do to help you guys?" And we're like, "Yeah, we just want. We're like, finally, someone served us. We just want the biggest TV you got, um, a PlayStation Three, I think it was at the at the time, um, a PlayStation Three. We need two controllers, and we need FIFA, the soccer game." And she was like, oh, okay, I'll go get that for you. And then I can, can we show you the TVs? This is our biggest one. I'm like, yep, yeah, we'll take it. And they're like, oh, how are you going to pay for them? We're like, all excited to be able to go and purchase something yeah. and have the money to go and purchase. It. And then I remember coming home. So we put it all on the back of my friend's dad's ute. Um, we pull up on the front lawn of my house and we start carrying these TV into, into my house. And my mum comes out and was like, oh my gosh, what have you guys done? and we just kind of ignored her and she was like stop put that tv down take that tv back to where you got it i was like mom no i it's my first paycheck i wanted to buy this and i remember her just kind of like tearing up a bit like, mm. and i don't know if it was through frustration of of how much money i would have probably just wasted then and what she could have done with that money or out of joy of going okay like you've kind of achieved your dream or what you set out to do and being able to um, go out and do that for yourself. But we took that TV into my room and my room was that small that we actually had to climb over the bed um, to get in the door. You couldn't open the door because it would hit the TV and you kind (laughs) of got to squeeze past it, climb on the bed. And we sat in there for a couple of days just playing this um, game of FIFA and um, a boxing game called Fight Night 4. Oh, we would have been in there for three days. We didn't come out of the room. We were just in there and it was so hot in this room because the TV was that big mm. and uh, producing that much heat. And, and in Brisbane with no air con, uh, it wasn't an ideal matchup. Yeah. You've earned
0: millions of dollars over your career, but the fact that you've gone through that story in such detail. Is that the most satisfying purchase you ever made because that was the first one and it sort of signified that you'd made it?
1: Yeah, it was, you know, like... Um, and it's it's funny to think back to it and um, and think about, like... Because I can nearly feel myself in that exact time and the emotions, um, the amount of, like, the happiness that I had being able to walk into a shop and actually buy something like that because previously... When when you when you have no money, when you grow up with no money, you never get that opportunity. So to be able to buy a pair of boots, things like that, you go into the shop and you find the cheapest pair of boots, and it's kind of like you know that somebody's missing out on something for you to get those boots. And I remember the first pair of Adidas boots that I ever got were second-hand boots. And one of my cousins had a, a pair of Adidas boots and his auntie used to work for the All Blacks. So he had some really cool Adidas boots and I was quite jealous of them. And so my mum could tell that and she went out and she she was working a couple of jobs at, at the stage and I remember her uh, finding these Adidas boots and but they were second hand and they were actually a size too big. And she got those boots for me and when she brought them home... I was like, I was so happy. And then when I found out they were second-hand boots, I was nearly a little bit embarrassed because I was thinking, like, no one's going to know, but you see these kids with brand-new boots and you kind of think that they're better than you. You turn up to these trials for a team and they've got brand-new boots. They're wearing one of the teams that they support's jersey and you turn up wearing second-hand boots and a T-shirt. So you kind of feel a little bit inadequate. And for me... That feeling um of've being able to walk into the shop and and just go in and then buy what I wanted it was It was a great feeling, and then also the flow on effect was my two little brothers. I remember thinking whenever they were going to a trial match, I made sure they had brand new boots um, a jersey that they wanted, the team that they supported' cause, not because I wanted them to make other people feel inadequate, but I really wanted them to feel proud of themselves and and not have to have that feeling of. Uh, looking around at other people and and feeling a little bit less or that they weren't as good as these other guys when I knew that they were either better players or just as good. One last question, quite from the money
0: side of things. Uh, Sports people earn millions of dollars at the the top and sometimes they throw it around with gay abandon. Do you reckon the fact that you came through a family where money wasn't plentiful still influences your attitude today and the way that you
1: spend money? Yeah, I mean, like... I feel like it does but the same respect like I've blown a lot of money over the years because at the start of my career I didn't understand money so you know going and buying that TV and at the time probably cost I don't know like three or four thousand dollars for a TV which now TVs are so cheap mm. um, so I spent money on a TV a Playstation which at the time fifteen hundred dollars for a Playstation um, you know things like that out of my sort of first uh, money that I was able to receive and um, so all that stuff and then after that I remember just buying things for the sake of buying things because I, cause I could, um, not that I wanted them or more so buying things for other people as well. You know, I never, if we went out to dinner and I still do it now, it's like I'll pay for the whole bill because I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, how I used to feel like or say no to going out to dinner because I don't have money, you know, friends and family, things like that. So I think that earlier stages in my career, I wasn't great with money because I just didn't understand it and I had no one really in my life that I could get advice on, you know, with things about money because my parents never had it. So they would have never, so for them to give me advice about money, um, you know, and uh but I've learnt a lot over the years about money um about what to do with money, but also my spending habits um and also spending habits of you know my family and stuff, so being able to um help them um you know in various ways has been something that like I've been so proud of, and one of the um of so the most exciting things about making it so to speak, in sport is being able to you know, give my my family a, a better life. Um, that's been very important to me. Is
0: one of the other things that you learned along the
1: way, uh, money is important to
0: be able to distribute it amongst family, mm-hmm. but it also creates leeches, if you like. There will be people who are attracted to the mm-hmm. fact that you've got money and that you, if you go out to dinner, they'll have it paid for. Have you experienced those people along the way? And if so, what did you do?
1: Yeah, look, I, I've definitely experienced that. Um, you know, but... In uh, saying that, like, you still have a choice. And, and I feel like for me, I chose um, to kind of have those leeches around. like, And and I don't necessarily feel like it's a bad thing depending on, on who it is, you know, because, again, like I said, like, um, my family, my friends, none of us come from money. So for me to be able to, say, take us all out to dinner, and some people say, oh, they're just leeching off you. No, because I feel like for me to be in the position that I am, it wasn't just my hard work and sacrifice. It was all of their hard work and sacrifice. So sometimes your friends play a big part in that. Mm. Um, because just because they didn't make it to being a professional, their guys used to pick you up and take you to training, take you to those games when your parents couldn't. Um, they were ones there who they might have loved the game more than you. Who knows? You know, they They were the ones who who wanted you to go and sign up for that that club and play the game. So I feel like um, sometimes those so-called leeches and that are you know part and parcel, but there comes a time where you've got to filter them and you've got to be able to distinguish the ones who are there who have helped you along the way, who deserve a little bit of um, sort of you repaying that, mm. whether that's in a financial way or through your own time, taking them out, things like that, um, and differentiate that to someone who's just your friend because you've happened to make them eye. And I find that, for me, being able to differentiate that is how long your friendship has been. So there's a lot of people who come into your life, say, I've moved down here to Melbourne. Of course, I'm going to have new friends that I'm only going to meet this year and stuff like that. But you start to work out people's intentions like, pretty quickly. And I think that that in itself is, is a skill. It's
0: been fascinating to hear your thoughts on all of that. But I want to talk to you about your great career because there are so many wonderful moments. We'll do that on the other side of the break. Quade Cooper is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life and more of Quade's story coming up in a moment. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Quade Cooper now of the Melbourne Rebels here on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Quade, let's get on to footy things now, to to the actual achievements that you've had in your career. I want to go back to a time where you were starting to play rep footy and the interest was coming back from your homeland in New Zealand. There was also interest from rugby league at the time. How close were you to being pulled by either back home or
1: by the other code yeah like it uh it it got pretty close to um, leaving and playing rugby league um but the thing for me is that i look back to you know the feeling that i had been away from my family and so with rugby league it was moving away again so going down to sydney and that was something that I knew it wasn't too far in terms of the distance, but was still moving away from my family when we had literally just got back together. Um, our family had just taken the step to move to Australia, um, start a life in Brisbane, and you know, having my little brothers um, there in Brisbane, I- I'd already missed a fair bit of time with them growing up that I I really didn't want to miss, um, yeah, and sort of be able to be there and, and be a, a guy to to guide them through um, you know, their life as as young men. So for me, I kind of weighed up all of that and I decided to um, choose to stay in, in rugby and stay in Queensland. What do you think's the easier transition, going from union to league or from league to union? Hundred percent from union to league. Um, Unions are so much more technical in terms of um, you know, rugby league. Every position pretty much in some way, shape or form does the same job. Um, and in union, so there's no way like in terms of scrumming. Um, like line outs things like this you've got to learn a whole new set of skills the games m- may look very similar in terms of the, the shape of the ball um, the way in you know, which the, the rules are played are, are very similar um But positionally, it's just so much different. And I feel like being able to grow up and play both of them, we used to go and play rugby union on Saturday, rugby league on Sunday, um, since I was about four years of age. Um, But that transition from when I have friends and and stuff who come over from league and want to play union... They really struggle, and you look at it in um, in the professional era, uh, a lot of the guys coming over from from league to union without having a, a union background really find it difficult, otherwise they you know wingers which are very similar in both. Hmm. Israel Falao is is probably the example who has
0: done pretty well going from league to union. Just on the differences between the games, um, I think going back maybe a decade ago, there were a lot of people probably in this part of the world who preferred union over league. But Mm -hmm. maybe that's changed a little bit because it became so much of a kicking game. A lot of the scores in games were penalty kicks and there wouldn't be many tries. Does Does your game have to evolve now to be... Become possibly a more attractive game. I know you think it's a great game, but does it need to appeal to the masses a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like
1: that is really um, up to sort of the coaches down the side of the world, um, sort of trying to reinvent the game, but the game is in such a strong position in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because um, you think about all the sports there. So soccer is massive. Um, soccer, if you have a nil or draw, it's one of the greatest games of the of the year. You know, or you have a, a one nil win, mate. What an amazing game! That's what you hear about it, the, the commentary and stuff like that. So you can go to, um, to England and have a game, England versus um, Wales, and have a six three. A victory to England, and everybody will rave on how good that game was. Like the defense was amazing. Mm. Um, you know, no one could break through. It was at a deadlock, and then someone won the game by a kick. And for me, I can see that being like a a good game, but I can also see it as being very uninviting for for people who haven't grown up with with the sport. Um, so the way I like to play the game. I like to run the ball um, make it enjoyable for for the crowd but also make it enjoyable for myself Um, score lots of points and especially lots of tries and I feel that um the way in which the, the sport was sort of coached um, in Australia for a little while it was um, dominated by how the game was being played um, you know, in Europe. Mm. So I think that for us, it's more so about going, OK, like it's, it's really well done in Europe. But for us, we're in a different market. We're competing against rugby league. We're competing against AFL, which AFL is scoring what, 100 points per game usually, um, blowout games of 140, 150 points, things like that. And that's what we're sort of competing against, a, a sport that is very very fast. It's, it's so free-flowing because there's not really many rules. Um, whereas rugby is more of a chess game. Yeah. I think that there's definitely a market for it, but we have to find the balance of chess and the balance of high octane.
0: We talked earlier in the program about what it would be like to be an All Black, but being a Wallaby is a great honour in itself, something that you've done 70 times. What's the highlight of your time in the green and gold?
1: I uh, <laughs> yeah, there's... There's, there's there's a fair few highlights in, in terms of you know for myself and, and what i what I feel, but the obvious one is when you when you get that first opportunity to um put that jersey on um we're in italy in in a small town called um, P- Padova um in two thousand and eight, and you know we sort of got told that we we're going to debut that week um so we got pretty excited and then when you actually physically put that jersey on, so you get you get it presented to you um, the day before the game, but that feeling is still you get it presented to you. You give the jersey back. Um, you come when you come into the change room and you, you see that jersey hanging there, um, and you mm-hmm. guard and warm up. And the moment you come back in the changing sheds and you put that jersey on, it's kind of like a again go back to that that feeling of when when you get your first paycheck. It's very similar because it's like. Mate, all of the stuff that i 've dreamed about, all the stuff that i 've worked you know so hard uh, to achieve, all the sacrifices that you know i 've sacrificed all the sacrifices of my family, my friends um, it 's all coming to fruition, and now is the time um, you know, to get out there and actually enjoy it um, so the burden of of everything is kind of off your shoulders and when you when you put that jersey on you you kind of feel like in in some ways you feel like um, like Superman, like you're invincible because, mate, you just you, everything has just come to one moment. You put it on, and and you know that all your dreams are going to come true in, in a matter of minutes. You've done it 70 times, felt like Superman. Do you reckon there might be a 71st? Uh, you, you never say say no to it, but like for me, I'm, I'm not holding my breath by by no means. And not because I don't feel like I deserve um, to play um, or represent Australia or, or that I'm not good enough anymore to, to represent Australia, but um, I, a lot of stuff has happened over over the past um, year or so. So um, all I know is that you know, I'm going to get the opportunity um, you know, to play for Melbourne this year, um, you know, do as much as I can to help, um, you know, do my part in, in this team being successful and, and winning a championship this year. Uh, one thing about if you do get a 71st, and if it happens to be the World Cup, um, I've.
0: Everyone knows that you're uh, pretty good in the ink department. Now, there's a few questions about tattoos in Japan, isn't there? I've I've heard that um, there might be some issues
1: with the tats going on in Japan. Is that going to be an issue if you get there? Yeah, we we played a, a test match against the All Blacks a fair few years ago. I think it was 2011, maybe 2000. Yeah, 2000. Actually. Yeah, two thousand eight, we'll say it was two thousand eleven anyway. Um, and we were told that when we go to the gym there, um we're gonna have to wear long sleeve shirts. Yeah. If anyone's got neck tattoos, you're obviously not gonna be allowed in unless you can cover it. Um, but when we got there it wasn't as serious as what it was sort of made out to. So we we all went there wearing skins and long sleeve skins <laughs> and like one of the boys had um got got strapping tape and sort of strapped it around his neck to cover these tattoos and then we walked in this uh, gym and there was tattoos everywhere and then there's here's us like uh, covering all of our arms, our legs and, and everything. So I'm not too sure how serious or how, um, you know, hard they're going to be on it, but If they are very hard on it, it'll be an interesting World Cup in terms of a visual. Yeah, and uh, there might be half the great players of the world might be able to
0: turn up. Oh, exactly. (laughs) All right, we're just about out of time, but I want to take our final break and come back with some final thoughts on Quade Cooper and his sporting life. And we'll be back to finish our edition of this program on the other side of the break. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment with Wallaby, Quade Cooper on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Uh, Quade, we talked about the things that have happened over the past 12 months. Of course, everybody talked about your departure from the Reds. I don't know how much you want to touch on it, but did it leave a bit of taste in your mouth the way it all
1: unfolded? Um, yeah, I mean, of course it did because that's a, a club that I've been at, you know, since I was 15. Um, you know, a club that... You know, i have got so much love for it and still do you know but I, and i know that you know in my heart i've you've know, given a lot to that club um and so it, it was disappointing but again that's life you know you you go through life and you have things that disappoint you and um, there's things that that hurt you in, in some ways, but you keep moving forward. And I've got a great opportunity down down here in Melbourne. I'm really enjoying being here, the people, um, the city, and and I feel like um, you know everything happens for a reason. One last word on that. Do you think it just got down to a personality thing between you and Brad Thorne? Yeah, I mean, I, of, of course, um, you know, but that's okay, mm. um, you know, and. Yeah, he's he's the boss there, he's in charge and um you know, so you just live, live live with that and um so I mean he's he's gotta um so sort of live with that himself as well, you know. And I noticed today you came into the studio with a
0: Barcelona 92 cap on. That was my first Olympic Games. It was a fantastic experience. Just loved it. It was a great city, magnificent Olympic Games. You were hoping that you might have been part of Rio in 2016. Mm. And that was another disappointing thing for you. How did you see that all unfolding? You you mentioned at the time that you thought that there were reasons that you weren't picked in the sevens team.
1: Yeah, there was... Mate, like the the funny thing about that, it was it was printed a, a whole lot different to you know what actually happened, and and the reasoning, the genuine reason behind it was because, um, I couldn't get my Australian passport, um, so I'm not an Australian citizen. I still got my New Zealand passport, so I actually couldn't go to the the Olympics if I wanted to. Um, you know, so that was a bit of a difficult one because we thought that. Would all be able to get worked out um, you know the the citizenship would you know would have been able to get worked out, but because I was living in France at the time, I would have had to cut my contract in France and leave immediately, which was something that financially um, uh, I just don't think it would have been great for me financially to um, cut that contract uh, which still had a um, about a year a year and eight months or something like that mm. to run on it. Um, so I sort of made the decision myself um, you know, to stay and you know, finish out the rest of that year and then return to Australia. Are you resigned to the fact that you'll never get to an Olympic Games now? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's one of those things that it would have been a bonus. Like, I, I never dreamt about going to the Olympics because rugby was never an Olympic sport. So when the opportunity arose, you kind of just jump on it and say, well, it would be amazing to go to an Olympic Games. And and I mean, if I had the opportunity, uh, I know that it would have been one of those things that would have been a highlight of my career. But in terms of not going there, I'm, I'm not disappointed because I I never really had that as a dream or never even thought it would be possible. It's been a remarkable journey from that young man who at 13 years of age
0: crossed the ditch and came over and felt pretty lonely at times in Australia but uh, uh, that's all changed and you've made a great mark on your sport. Welcome to Melbourne. I hope you get to decide between Richmond and Collingwood if I can just give you a word of advice. Go for the pies. Um, <laughs> Richmond might win the premiership this year, but just go for the pies, OK? No, I'm with you. I'll, I'll take your word for it. All right. Thanks for coming in, mate. Best of luck with the Rebels. And thank you for having me. Quade Cooper joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life. Hope you can join us same time next week for another edition of the program. We'll see you then.